Uh, well, friends, many years ago, the sandwich chain Subway embarked upon an advertising campaign. Uh, what they wanted to do was to promote their sandwiches as being a healthy alternative to junk foods. And so they began to advertise to the public, letting them know the nutritional value of their sandwiches. Uh, for example, they advertised that many of their sandwiches had less than 6 grams of fat. However, what they soon found was that simply telling people facts did not work. Sales of Subway sandwiches continued to decline. And so they decided to change their advertising strategy, this time to tell a story. Now, what's the story that they told? Well, it was the story of Jared. Uh, you might have seen Jared on television. Jared was an overweight college student. Uh, he wore extra large clothing. He had all sorts of problems because of, his because of his obesity. Yet, when he began eating Subway sandwiches for every meal, he went from 191 kilograms to 81 kilograms. Subway helped save my life and start over, said Jared on TV advertisements. Suddenly, Subway sales hit the roof. Uh, now, friends, I tell you the story because uh, I tell you this story about Jared because stories are, are powerful, aren't they? Stories can persuade, stories can make concrete and relatable and understandable the things that you're trying to say. Uh, stories can grow a brand as it takes root in people's minds. Uh, and in today's passage in Matthew's Gospel, I want you to notice that Jesus begins to tell stories in the form of parables. Uh, you might remember that Matthew organises his Gospel into five major teaching blocks. And so we've seen in previous years Jesus teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7. Uh, we've seen Jesus teaching his disciples uh, on mission in chapter 10 last year. And today uh, we begin the third major teaching block in chapter 13 where we find Jesus teaching in parables. And uh, I think it's true to say that many people think what Jesus is doing here is very similar to what Subway did with the story of Jared. You know, Jesus takes images from ordinary life to teach some spiritual truths. He takes ordinary things so he can make the message of the kingdom of heaven more concrete and more relatable and more understandable in a way that will help the kingdom of heaven to grow. I wonder whether you've understood the parables of Jesus in this way before. However, I want you to see very clearly this morning that nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, just have a look at the parable of the sower in your Bibles for a moment, uh, which you see in the first nine verses of uh, chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is beside the sea in verse 1. A great crowd gathers around him in verse 2. In fact, there are so many people that, he needs to, that Jesus needs to get into a boat so that he can teach them uh, while the crowds are gathered listening to him on the beach. And then he tells them this strange story. 
He says that a sower went out to sow some seed. Some of the seed fell on paths, on the path rather, and the birds came and gobbled it up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it immediately sprang up. But because there was no depth of soil, it simply withered and died when the scorching sun came up. Still other seed fell among the thorns, and after a promising start, they were choked by the thorns. But other seed fell on good soil, and this time it produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, now, I know that many of us have heard Jesus' explanation of this parable, uh, which we will come to shortly, which he shares privately with his disciples. But just imagine with me for a moment that you have not heard this explanation and you were part of the crowds on that day as Jesus told this parable. What would you have understood from this parable? I mean, is Jesus just giving some farming advice here? I'm guessing that most of us would think, you know, because Jesus is a rabbi, there is some deeper spiritual meaning to all this, but what is the meaning of this parable? Uh, You see, the meaning of the story itself is not immediately obvious, is it? It's not like Jesus is using the parables as a bit of a sermon illustration to make uh, a point clear for his listeners, to clarify things that he wants to teach them about the kingdom of heaven. And so why is Jesus so cryptic in the things that he says? Why does he use parables at this particular point in the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, Well, you can see that this is the question that is on the lips of Jesus' disciples in verse 10, where they come to Jesus privately away from the crowds, and they ask him there in verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? Is it because Jesus wants to use concrete illustrations to make things more understandable to his hearers? Is this Jesus, the master preacher at work, using uh, flashy sermon illustrations to clarify his teaching about the kingdom? Well, no. For the shocking thing that Jesus says in this passage is that he uses parables in order to hide the truth from his listeners in the crowds. Now, you can see this in a number of ways. Uh, Firstly, Jesus says that it is God's will that the crowds do not understand what he is talking to them about in parables. Now you can see it there in verse 11, can't you? Now have a look with me at verse 11. Uh, it says, And Jesus answered them, To you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Notice the sharp division between the you, who are the disciples, and the them, who are the crowds. In other words, Jesus is making this sharp division here between those who are inside the kingdom, those who are his genuine disciples, and those who are outside the kingdom, those who are in the crowds. Further, notice that Jesus says that to his disciples, God has given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. 
Uh, the word secret there refers to things that were previously hidden but has now been made known. I have two young daughters. They are very bad at keeping secrets. You know, when they know something, they just can't keep it to themselves. They're itching to tell me. And uh, soon enough, all is revealed. Uh, what are the secrets of the kingdom of heaven that God has revealed uh, to these disciples? Well, in Matthew's Gospel, it is the news that God's eternal rule has come into this world through Jesus, who is his King. It is the news that God's eternal rule has come into this world through Jesus, his King. And so the appropriate response to Jesus, the appropriate way to respond to Jesus, is to humbly turn to him so that you can be healed of sin and be part of his eternal kingdom. It is this secret that has been given by God to the disciples so that they now have turned to Jesus. And it is precisely because they have now turned to Jesus that they are able to understand more and more about the nature of the kingdom of heaven as Jesus explains it to them. You know, it's like Jesus uh, is turning on the lights for them. It's not that Jesus' disciples understand everything at, at this point, but it is because they have now turned to Jesus, and Jesus is with them, and Jesus is explaining the nature of his kingdom, that they will be able to learn even more about the kingdom. Uh, that's why Jesus says in verse 12, For to the one who has, that is the one who has the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But here's the thing. For the ones who are in the crowds, what Jesus is saying here is that God has not given to them the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, so that when they hear these parables, what little truth they knew about Jesus will be snatched away from them. In other words, for those who are on the outside, Jesus speaks in parables not in order to reveal the truth, but to hide the truth. Uh, now, friends, I know that some of us may find this idea offensive, uh, the idea that God chooses to reveal himself to some and not to others is a very difficult idea. However, in the scriptures, it is a gracious thing that God reveals himself to anyone at all, given our human sinfulness and rebellion against God. But secondly, I want you to see that Jesus speaks in parables as a searing judgment on the crowds. Uh, you can see it there in verse 13, where Jesus says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because... Seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, friends, it's not as though Jesus chooses to be arbitrarily cruel to the crowd in using parables to hide the truth. For you see, Matthew 13 comes 
after the first 12 chapters of Matthew, and in particular chapters 11 to 12, where Jesus has been openly teaching and openly preaching about the kingdom of of heaven to the cities of Israel. And what has been the response? Well, Jesus drew great crowds as he taught them because of his miracles. But it's not as as though many chose to genuinely follow him during this time. For some, Jesus was a novelty, but the cost of genuinely following him was too great. For others, they were distracted by the things of this world and unprepared to leave them behind to follow him. For the religious leaders, Jesus was a threat to their long-held traditions, and so they end up accusing Jesus, if you remember, of, of being in collusion with the devil himself, and they make plans to kill him. And so it is those who have had every opportunity to turn to him, but who have rejected him again and again and again in their lives, that Jesus speaks to in parables as a judgment against them. That's why you can see there in verses 14 to 15 that Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He says, Indeed, in their case, that is the the crowds, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. You see, what Jesus is saying is that the crowds are exactly the same as the generation of Israel who lived in Isaiah's time. For the people in Isaiah's time were those who had been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to turn back to God They were warned again and again and again to turn away from their rejection of God. And yet, they continue to reject him. They continue to worship idols. They continued ignoring God's word such that they became spiritually lifeless. Uh, The image in verse 15 is that of a heart that has literally grown fat and obese. It is so clogged up with fat that it simply does not let the word of God in to have any life. The image of the ears that can barely hear is the image of the person in the high care section of the nursing home. You call out to them, there is no response. There is no hearing or understanding. They simply sleep their life away. The image of the eyes that have closed is the image of the blind person who cannot see. They cannot walk in right paths. And so, because of their rejection of God, God sends Isaiah to preach so that they would not understand And so that they would be further hardened in their sin. 
You see, to listen to God's word and not understand would be God's chilling judgment on them. And here, Jesus speaks in parables for exactly the same reason. They are God's judgment upon the crowds who have had opportunity after opportunity to genuinely turn to Jesus, but who are still set against him. Now friends, how do we apply uh, this part of uh, the scriptures to ourselves? Well, it's always tempting for preachers to simply read a passage and then give some things that are loosely tied to the passage as things we must do in the Christian life. Uh, It's called moralistic preaching, and uh, it's so often a temptation. Uh, You know, I could have said, don't be like the crowds, for example. Read your Bibles more. Pray more and ask God for understanding. Uh, Now, all of these things, of course, are not bad things. But the more I've thought about this part of the passage, I think the way to apply this passage is to simply call on us to rejoice. If you are a disciple of Jesus, and you are somebody who has turned to Jesus as your king, and it is your heart's desire to listen to him and do his will in your life, then it is because God has revealed him to you. And so this passage passage tells us that we are blessed beyond all measure. I mean, God didn't have to reveal himself to you or to anyone. God is not beholden to sinners. And yet the wonderful news of the gospel is that he chooses to reveal himself to those who turn to Jesus as their king. Uh, I remember seeing an interview with Billy Graham uh, towards the end of his life. And the interviewer asked Graham what he would ask God if he died today and went to heaven. Now, uh, I don't know what you would ask. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, uh, many people in arrogance would want to question God about all sorts of things. But do you know what Billy Graham said? He said, I would ask God, why me? Why would God choose a sinner like me to belong to his kingdom? You see, friends, here is a man who knows just how blessed he is. He is a man who just cannot believe how kind God has been in revealing the truth about Jesus to him. Things that have to do with eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Disciples of Jesus are the ones who can rejoice because they have been blessed beyond all measure. That's why Jesus says to his disciples in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, that is, the end-time Messiah who has come and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so, friends, if you are a disciple of Jesus, will you rejoice today that God has revealed this truth to you? 
Now, friends, uh, we've seen that Jesus speaks in parables to hide the truth about the kingdom of heaven from the crowds who are outsiders to the kingdom, but he reveals the truth to those who have turned to Jesus as his disciples. But what is the truth about the parable of the sower that he wants his disciples to understand? Uh, Well, you can see there that Jesus, in the rest of our passage, explains the meaning of the parable of the sower to his disciples. Uh, What has previously been uh, uh, cryptic and opaque, he is now revealing to them, just like Piri revealed the answer to those riddles. And he starts to unpack what some of the details in this parable are really about. And so, for example, who is the sower? Well, the sower is not really identified in verse 18. But uh, if you look down further to verse 37, uh, it seems that the sower, at least in a later parable, is none other than the Son of Man himself, who is Jesus. And so it's likely that the sower is Jesus here in the first instance, um, and later uh, the disciples uh, will take up that, that role. But what is the seed that the sower sows? Well, in verse 19, you can see that the seed is identified as the word of the kingdom. In other words, this is the gospel word that Jesus has been proclaiming in the cities and towns of Israel. It is the message that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand because God's king is now here. And so repent and turn to him for forgiveness and eternal life. But how about the soils? Well, it's clear in Jesus' explanation that the soils are the different kinds of responses that people have in their hearts to this message that is proclaimed by Jesus and later proclaimed by his disciples. And you can see there that there are four different kinds of responses that are mentioned. Uh, Firstly, you have the response of the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Uh, These are the people who have such hardened hearts against Jesus that when the word is proclaimed to them, it simply bounces off and does not seem to penetrate the heart and to change them. They are like seed that simply falls on the hardened path and bounces off rather than sinking deep down into the soil. Secondly, you have the response of the superficial heart. These are the people whose hearts are so shallow that when the word of the kingdom is proclaimed to them, well, they seem to grow enthusiastically for a little while. But when the heat is turned up in their Christian lives through persecution or some other difficulty, well, they simply fall away because They have not allowed the word to take deep root in their lives. They are like seed that falls on shallow ground which grows quickly but is then scorched by the sun because they have failed to develop deep roots. Thirdly, you have the response of the distracted heart. These are the people who hear the word of the kingdom but their hearts are so distracted by the things of this world and in particular the wealth and riches of this world, that they soon end up being deceived. Tragically, they trade in their souls for money. 
thinking that this is a good trade. They are like seed that grows amongst thorns, which eventually chokes the eternal life out of them. But finally, you have the response of the humble heart. These are the ones who hear the word of the kingdom and understand deep in their hearts, such that they do God's will in their lives. They are eager to learn, sitting at the feet of Jesus. They are like the seed that falls in the good soil and bears fruit a hundred times, sixty times, and thirty times what they started off with. Uh, Now friends, uh, it's important to understand that Jesus here is not talking about four different kinds of Christians. Jesus is not saying that it's possible to be a disciple, but simply have a hardened heart. Uh, or have a superficial heart, or a distracted heart. Now the first three soils here are three responses that do not produce fruit, such that those who continue to respond in this way are those who are outside of the kingdom. They do not belong to heaven. It is a very serious thing to be identified with the first three soils. In Jesus' parable. Further, I want you to see what it is to bear fruit in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I think because the Apostle Paul later on speaks about the fruits of the kingdom, uh, it's very common to read what the Apostle Paul says uh, into this part of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, So many people think, you know, because I I uh, don't see a lot of evidence of particular types of you know, fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, then I must be one of the first three soils. However, in Matthew's Gospel, the image of fruit is an image of harvest. And so the fruitfulness in a person's life is about genuinely turning to Jesus in repentance such that you belong to the harvest of God's kingdom. Of course, the one who genuinely turns to Jesus may sometimes be distracted, uh, sometimes uh, be superficial, but he or she is the one who keeps on turning back to him, away from hardness of heart, away from superficiality, away from the love of money, rather than going headlong into those things. A fruitfulness is about turning to Jesus in repentance. Now further, I think it's really important to see that what Jesus is doing here is he's describing what has already been happening uh, in, uh, in Israel at, at the time, as Jesus has been going from city to city, proclaiming the word of the kingdom. Uh, In some ways, it's no different to what we see in our world. As we have gone out uh, on a month of mission, um, some of us may be feeling a little bit disappointed that you know, there hasn't been a lot more fruit that has come out of that. Well, it was the same in Jesus' day, and he's explaining to his disciples uh, what has been happening and the reasons why this has been happening. 
what has been happening is that his preaching has been met with hardened hearts. His preaching has been met with superficial hearts. His preaching has been met with distracted hearts. Indeed, he will continue to meet this kind of opposition in a way that will take him to the cross where he will die for the sins of the world, for this was God's plan. He will be given over to death by the religious leaders who have their hearts hardened against him. He will be turned on by the superficial crowds who follow him one day, but follow public opinion the next. He will be betrayed into the hands of sinful men by one who loved money more than him. But it is those genuine disciples of Jesus, the remnant, those genuine ones who had turned to him as their king and who desired to live uh, to, to do his will by taking up their crosses and following him, it is they who would take the gospel word to the nations and call on people everywhere to turn to Jesus and to find everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. And so, friends, the great news is that the parable of the sower teaches us that it is still not too late to rightly respond to this Jesus and to come into his eternal kingdom. Uh, you might be here this morning and you've come to see that you are not a genuine follower of Jesus because there has been no fruit of repentance in your life. Perhaps you have hardened your heart against Jesus and have consistently refused to do his will in the nitty-gritty of your life. Perhaps you have consistently been superficial in following Jesus, wanting to follow him when it's easy, but as soon as challenges come or it's unpopular being a Christian, well, you've ceased to follow him. Perhaps you've loved money and your life is really about the accumulation of wealth rather than the love of Jesus. And all the decisions you make in your life are really all about that. You may have even been coming to church all this time, but you know that you are not a genuine follower of Jesus. Well, the good news is that it is not too late to turn to him and to receive the eternal kingdom. You have heard the word of his kingdom this morning, and so turn to him. Genuinely follow him. Repent. Turn away from the way you've been living and I've been living. Receive from him a new heart that is not hard but soft, not fickle but persevering, not loving money but loving Jesus above all things. To ignore what Jesus says here is to find yourself out of his kingdom for eternity. To embrace what Jesus says here is to be blessed beyond measure in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How will you hear his words this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word.
your precious word to us this morning. Uh, We thank you for the sobering reminder that your word not only gives eternal life, but also divides people into those who are inside the kingdom and those who are outside. How chillingly awful it is to hear your word in a way that produces no understanding. And Father, we pray for your forgiveness for the times we have heard your word and not obeyed the things you say. We thank you that you forgive those who turn to your son, who died for our forgiveness, and to give us eternal life. And we pray that you would help us to turn to him and to live as his disciples, willing to follow him even at great cost to ourselves. Father, we pray that you would give us soft hearts rather than hard hearts that desire to listen to your Son and to learn from him. Father, we pray that you would give us hearts that go deep into your word rather than stay at surface level. We pray that you would rid our hearts of distractions and especially the love of money. Help us to be generous with the things we have for the sake of the kingdom. We pray that each time we hear your word, we would be like that good soil, producing obedience and repentance and fruitfulness in ways that redound to your glory. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.